There we go. So we're going to be uh, chapter 12, verses 6 through 19. It says this. When Herod was about to bring him, that's Peter, out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. While the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. Oh, wrap your cloak around you, so he told, he, he told them, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. After he, they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting it was true. And they said, oh, oh, it's an angel. Peter, however, kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed, motioning to them with to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we, Lord, we thank you that you speak uh, through, through us and to us, Lord, through your word. Uh, and Lord, I, just, I pray this morning that you would speak through me. Lord, speak. Uh, let, let me be your mouthpiece here this morning as we gather around your word and around uh, the name of Jesus Christ, by whose name we gather and by whose name we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever seen uh, a Shakespearean play? Right? So I love, uh, there was a a play called Much Ado About Nothing. And uh, they did it in Hollywood. And they did a great job. They had a wonderful cast. Like Denzel Washington, Keanu Reeves, Emma Thompson, uh, Benedict something. Anyway, they had a whole great, great cast uh, doing this. And uh, it's a very intense, if you know anything about Shakespeare, he is very intense when it comes to his, 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 uh, his plays, his scripts. The, the content is very uh, dark sometimes, um, but they always ha- he always has that comedic relief. And uh, if you've seen, uh, seen the Much Ado About Nothing movie, at least, uh, you'll, you'll know that there, there was a, uh, what was his name? Uh, the guy who played Batman, um, Michael Keaton, thank you, uh, was the, the comedic relief. He was kind of this weird, crazy guard and this, you know, had this guy, you know, uh, they're riding horses, you know. 
you know, up on, you know. Well, but I think they may have gotten that from, <laughs> from there or something. It was like, you know. <laughs> so, and, uh, but every play, every play has this comedy to it to kind of break, you know, cut this, cut the, the tragedy or cut the drama and be able to give them, you know, give the audience a little bit of release. Um, uh, through through laughter and through ridiculousness, and that's kind of what we see here. You know, try, you know, suffering and, and trials, difficulties and temptations, oftentimes seem to pile up and come to a head, and they sometimes feel so strong that we don't know how we could ever get through or over them. And sometimes in our lives, we, we need a little bit of comedy relief. That's why you'll. You know, you know, see people with, with a very dark and sometimes devastating job, like a mortician or a, a crime, scene, crime scene investigator. Or even nurses or doctors in the hospital will kind of have, sometimes have a dark sense of humor. Because they've got to find humor or else they will just crumble. And we were, talking, we were kind of joking about that as, as pastors sometimes. You know, sometimes we, we have to have a dark sense of humor in ministry because it just gets so sometimes so dark and sometimes so stressful and so so heavy on us that sometimes we just have to joke and and and, and make not make light of it but but to find but to in a sense like the comedic relief in our own lives and ministry to to take the weight off for a while and sometimes in our situations, you know, whether they be for circumstances or seasons, um, like you know, things like the, the the month and a half where my father was in a coma, uh, and we weren't sure if he was going to live or die, if we were going to be pull, you know pulling the plug or or not. Though, though those were times when we needed some hope, we needed some life, we needed some laughter. Uh, through, I, I have some friends uh, who have gone through like a two-year legal battle, and finally they get a respite from it. They've, they've settled the case. It wasn't completely in, in you know what they would desired, but it was it was what the Lord finally and it worked out in, in the end. Or even seasons like you know having these these times where you know when I was addicted to pornography and addicted to so many things that were destructive in my life. Finally, finding a breakthrough in these addictions to bring life. So sometimes it can be a like a, a, a certain you know occasion for you know weeks or months or something. Sometimes it can be seasons of trials and sufferings, or sometimes it can be a, a lifestyle that you need freedom from addictions or wrong thinking that are that are imprisoning you. And desire to do so for the rest of your life unless you get a breakthrough. And the number one thing during these times, whether it be occasions, seasons, or life circumstances, is to press into the presence of God. To press into the presence of God. To push ourselves in prayer. And to invite others to draw into, you know, to draw others into prayer intercession for us and with us. So a couple weeks back, so July 23rd, we talked about the first few verses here, uh, you know, one through, one through five, where Herod broke out against the church and persecuted them, killing James. 
You know, Peter, James, and John. That's John's brother. One of the closest disciples and relationships to Jesus Christ when he walked on this earth. Herod broke out against the church and killed James and then started to persecute the church, to oppress them, to imprison them. He imprisoned Peter. That's where we get to our passage here today. In the midst of this tragedy of James being executed and great persecution breaking out against the church to where they're, you know, they're here, they're now in hiding again, we find this powerful miracle and this kind of funny comedic relief story of Rhoda and the faithful yet in this time hopeless church. And what it teaches us is that faithful prayer is praying with expectation. Faithful prayer, or even you could even put, the, put in there fervent prayer, fervent or faithful prayer is praying with expectation. Let's talk about the word faith. Faith is faithfulness. Like we talked about, faith is not just this like mental assent. Like I believe or I think or my opinion or my thoughts. I think there's a God. I think that there was a you know, Jesus that died and rose again. It's the, I'm going to trust that. So this word pistis or pisteo is a trust or entrusting. This is a faith like Mary, Jesus' mother, who said, do whatever he tells you. I'm trusting, I'm, entr- I'm entrusting the circumstances and the situation of this, what's going on right now at this wedding, to my son, to Jesus. It's an entrusting. Jesus is the ultimate authority in this world over everything. And we rely upon that truth. We hang our hat on that truth that he is God. That that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That Jesus did die on the cross. That he rose from the dead and that he ascended and he sent his Holy Spirit. And one day he will come again victoriously. We have faith. We trust that. We entrust our lives to that truth. It's a faithfulness. It's an allegiance. You cannot get me to stop. You cannot get me to stop being faithful. You cannot get me to stop believing. You cannot get me to stop. Why? Because I have pledged my entire life on that truth. And so praying is that. Praying in that truth. Praying in that belief. Praying in that faithfulness to God as ultimate authority. And then expecting something to happen. Expecting that he will answer. Expecting that he will respond. Expecting that he hears your prayer. So let's talk about our passage here this morning as we get into this. Peter's let out. <clears throat> Have you ever had one of those dreams that like felt so real? They were like, man, yo, I remember this one time and Amberlynn doesn't let me live it down. Uh, <clears throat> there's a fire in the wall. <laughs> so we were, in, we were living in Cody, we were in the basement and I, I had this dream, this very vivid dream. And there was a, 
a little plug that goes into the wall that alerts to, you know, to say if it's carbon monoxide because we're living in the basement of this house. And for some in my brain, my thoughts turned it to that's an alert that's telling us that there's a fire in the wall. And I woke up and said, Amberlynn, there's a fire in the wall. There's a, there's a fire in the wall. She's like, what, what, what? It's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? There's a fire in the wall. That light over there telling us that there's a fire in the wall. No, it's just a carbon monoxide detector. Go back to sleep. But it felt so real. And like my surroundings felt so real. I think I even had one of those moments when we were camping in the tent. I was like, something was going on outside in the tent. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, this is what Peter's thinking maybe this is. Like, he's falling asleep in the prison, and he's like, oh, man, this is a really vivid dream. It's a really vivid vision. Man, this is crazy. But none of this could be possible. I mean, even though he's already been let out by an angel once before, so it seems like it shouldn't be that weird. You know? But... So this, you know, Peter thought he was experiencing this, but here's what he was experiencing. A miracle. A miracle. This is a ascetic spiritual experience of a heavenly spiritual being manifesting itself in the physical realm where he could see it. And not just manifesting himself like appearing to him, but making things happen. Like, boom, chains are gone. Chains fell off. Boom, these guys are still asleep, whether they were before or not. And he's leading them out. Like he's either not being seen or they're asleep or what? Something's happening. Remember, this had happened before. That's why Herod doubled the guard. They didn't just have the ones outside the prison. They locked him in the prison. As you can see in the illustration on your paper there, maybe they were asleep. Maybe they were having a weird vision themselves. We don't know but appearing physically, but miraculously and unhurriedly. Here's the thing. like He keeps like giving him little instructions here and there. He doesn't just say, like, hey, grab your stuff and let's go. He's like, no, no, take your time. So we're good. We're, we're not in a hurry. It's cool. They, they're fine. Get go ahead and get dressed. Put your belt on. Put your, put your sandals on. Put your cloak on. Right? Maybe it was an invis- invisibility cloak. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but... It doesn't really tell us, you know, what's going on here. But the angel, however, was able to miraculously hide Peter's escape from both of the guards and everyone in the, in the area, inside and outside the prison. When he comes to his senses, he is, you know, think about this. He like comes to his senses like, oh, wow, this is real. Whoa, real, wow, wow. Like, imagine like the emotional, like, progression shock and awe like oh wow that was real wow i'm really free wow whoa oh crap i need to get a hiding <laughs> I need to hide myself you know it's like this you know because you think about this he i don't know he may have watched even james himself be crucified or be killed be executed with the sword he may have watched his friend thought himself just as good as dead. So the amount of like relief and like, wow, I'm free. Wow, my dad woke up. 
Wow, I've got a breakthrough in my life. Wow. This relief and gratitude at the at a breakthrough of God in your life feels awesome. awesome. You feel grateful, thankful. <laughs> like every time we come home from a backpacking trip or something and we get to sleep in our own bed. <sighs> every time, remember, we lay down like, oh. <laughs> we have an eight-inch memory foam and three-inch memory foam topper, and it's just oh, beautiful. <laughs> but there's also that peace at the end of that, Right? The Peter's probably feeling, he's feeling the peace, like my life isn't in danger anymore. At least in the immediate point. It's still in danger, but he's just got to get it out of dodge. And then he's like, okay, now I've got to remember, what was I doing before? And I have to go back to be faithful and devoted to that, that plan. What's the plan? All right, first, go into the house. I need to go to the house, make sure that they know I'm not dead. You know, so he goes, goes to the house. He's let out. So this, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is all. This is by scholars believed to be the house that Jesus went to the upper room in for the Passover Seder. This became the hub of the church in Jerusalem for this for like twelve. I think it's about twelve years or so at this point. It was the home base for the Jerusalem church. Uh, John Mark is the author of the book of, of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is actually Peter's Gospel. And then John, you know, and then John Mark actually becomes a prominent figure in the church. That's why he's introduced here in this passage. He starts to become a prominent figure in both the Jerusalem church, then in Paul's ministry journey, and then in the church in Antioch, which we'll get to in the weeks to come. But so that's who this, that's this house that he's going to. That's where the church is gathered. And so we see here the little, you know, kind of funny, funny little sketch of Rhoda, the excited servant and the hopeless faithful church. So, so the funny, this is where the funny discourse, you know, breaks up the tension of the, the, the killing, the execution of James, the imprisonment of Peter, the fear of persecution and Herod in, being in charge. And it's like comedic relief right here. She's like, yeah, so cool. Have you ever been so excited to like get somewhere you just completely forget what you're doing? And forget to do something important, you know, because you're just so excited, you know. Here's here's the thing: like, this is a this is also a celebration because this is a victory. Jesus has won. Jesus, what? The Herod tried to win. Herod tried to pfft, out the church, but Jesus is like, hold my wine, watch this, and he frees Peter from the prison. He's won. Peter's free. The prayers, the fervent prayers, as it says in, in verse 5, Peter wasn't kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Their prayers were answered. Jesus won. Peter's free. Woohoo! Amazing. And Rhoda gets so excited, she forgets to, she forgets to open the gate. <laughs> Peter's left there standing at the gate. He's like, Hello? Hello? Showing me, guys! Rhoda! I know you saw me! <laughs> right? But she tells the church, you know, tells the church Peter's at the gate, but they don't believe her. 
It's what they've been praying for. And they didn't believe it. In fact, they thought that he was maybe dead. That's why they said what? Oh, it's his angel. That was actually probably more defeated. Oh, it's his angel. Because they believed that the spirit of the person would would wander around for a few days. Because if the body revived, then they would go back and, and, you know, go back to their body. That's why Jesus waited four days till after Lazarus died. Because that was the time when they believed that the spirit had gone on. That's why Jesus waited till the third day to rise again. Because it was the time that they would have believed that the spirit had already gone. And basically saying, no. It wasn't just the body had fallen asleep and then rewoken. It's that they were fully, really dead. Fully gone. And God fully restored life. So they were thinking that he may have already been executed in the prison. But it's interesting, like, if you think about this situation, like, where we felt this before, where I'm getting some serious, like, resurrection vibes here. You remember the resurrection? Like, they were in secret and hiding in fear. And, like, the women come back and say, hey, Jesus rose again. They're like, Oh, you're out of your mind. Kind of feels like the same situation here. Unbelief, even though they had faith. They're now like not getting it. This is, you know, this is, you know, reminiscent of that. Because A, probably because she was a woman, and like like we heard about when we talked about the resurrection and the account that women's testimonies were not weren't you know, accepted back then. They were not believed. Uh, they did not hold the weight as a testimony of a man. Which is why if you're going to write a lie of a story, you don't use women to try to justify your story. You know, in that culture. To that, to that culture. Which is why we can believe that they have you know, faith that the resurrection really happened was because they used something that was ridiculous to that culture. And then it was affirmed later on as well. And so it's this whole juxtaposition back and forth between the resurrection account and now this, this same account where there has been a resurrection to life, not from death, but from threat of death and freedom now to life. And two, because it seemed too good to be true. No, our, our prayers couldn't have been, been answered that quick. I mean, they, they maybe expected a na- more of a natural course of action. Like there would be a trial and then he'd be vindicated, etc. You know, those kinds of things. Things that are natural. They didn't expect a supernatural prison break. Right? They were being faithful. And here, here's the thing. Like Peter didn't scold them. Peter didn't say, oh, you have little faith. He didn't scold them. He, he understood. He's like, I, know, I just came to my mind like two seconds ago myself. I'll give you a little bit of time yourself to you know, wrap your minds around this. It's happening, guys. It's really me. This is now, like you said, this is now the second time that Peter has been brought out of prison by an angel. You would think that this would be, some, be somewhat normal, but their grief for James and fear because of the persecution has probably blinded them. The same way that the fear blinded them when Jesus was crucified. It always, fear always follows death and oppression, persecution. Trials, sufferings, temptations and difficulties 
have a way of blinding our faith, don't they? Of making life feel less sunny and faith seem less possible. He, tell, he tells them, he, after they you finally figure it out, they're like, oh, it is Peter. <laughs> like, what? Keep it down, keep it down. And like, you know, pulls him aside and he tells him, he's like, he tells him everything, and then he leaves and goes away to just, you know, another place, as it says. And this is kind of, you know, wisdom is knowing that, okay, yes, you're free, and yes, the angel can do it again, but let's not press your luck. Let's, let's go ahead and... Uh, move on. Wisdom is knowing to lay low. So Peter transfers leadership of the Jerusalem church over to James. This is not the one that just died. This is the brother of Jesus. This is the one who later would write the book of James. So James, the the brother of Jesus, and obviously now at this point, the family of Jesus has mostly come to faith in him, that he really was the Messiah. So now his brother, James, is now figuring... um, uh, prominently in the in the church itself, <clears throat> excuse me, and he will grow to become uh, more, 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 uh, more influential in the in the church in that area. Um, he, I mean, we may know, you know, he may have gone to Antioch. We don't really know where Peter went. Uh, he goes to hunker down for a, for a time. We know that Peter, Peter will eventually end up in Antioch, but we don't really know where he went at this point because um, we know that Peter ends up back in Jerusalem um, in chapter 15 when Paul and the Judaizers are arguing and, and you know, fighting, um, which we'll get to. So we don't really know. He may have gone to Galilee, wilderness. We don't know. He goes somewhere. <laughs> uh, but what we learned from the Jerusalem church here is in that even in the midst of great trial, in the midst of, of their suffering, because they're mourning their brother, they're mourning James and his, and his crucifix, or I mean his, his, his execution. They're worried and fearful for Peter. In the midst of their trials and their sufferings and temptations to despair, the difficulties and persecutions that Jesus desires and honors fervent, passionate, pushy prayers. Let's talk about that, what that means. I, we might have heard this, this phrase before. It kind of became, came in vogue. A push prayer. Pray until something happens. Uh, I wanted to kind of talk about this because I used to think, oh, this is such a dumb cliche. And then I started thinking about it more. I'm like, oh, it's actually... That's actually really good. <laughs> so push, like, you know, be pushy in your in your prayer life. Like the illustration that Jesus even gave of the of the pushy will of the pushy widow. She went and she you know cried out for, you know for justice. Is an illustration, a parable that Jesus told. You know, this woman you know was pushing her requests on the king and he and she wore him down. And finally he gave her justice. He answered her call and gave her justice. And so the illustration is kind of almost like this, annoy God until you get what you want. That's <laughs> what it kind of seems like it's saying. But I want to talk about what this means. What this mean, doesn't, okay, what this doesn't mean, first and foremost, is it does not, it, this is not a name it and claim it. This is not a, I want it, therefore I'm going to ask for it. This is not the, I desire it as, out of you know, praying selfishly. 
This is not a demanding or trying to control God as though we could. Pushy prayers is pushing through our doubts. Because think about it, when you're praying into big things, doubt likes to creep in. When it's a God thing, you're like, this is too much of a, this is too big a thing for me. And that's where pushy prayers actually are you, or is God leading you through your doubts to push through what you don't believe possible. Pushing through our fears. Pushing toward faith. Pushing forward in faith. Like like the phrase, I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith. Be faithful in times of my faithlessness. It's also pushing ourselves to invite others into intercession for us. It's not pushing them to pray, but pushing past our insecurities and the I don't want to burden you mentality. I don't want to be a burden on you. I don't, it's, it's none of their business. Oftentimes the places where we need others to get into our business is the places where we don't think it's other people's business. Amen? The parts of our lives, let me say that again, that you don't believe to be other people's business, God wants you to invite people into your business through prayer. The church... The entire church was getting into Peter's business by praying for him. The, the church was praying for Peter. And here's what will happen. Either the situation will change, you will change, your community will change, something will happen. Whether it's answered the way that you want, want it to or not. They may, like I said, they may have been you know, praying for a trial and for vindication and for natural progression of things that would lead to his release. But God had other plans, better plans. So sometimes we pray for plans and God doesn't give us our plans. He, give us, he gives us better plans. He gives us a better outcome we could ever imagine. So be pushy. Be pushy with God. Fervent prayer, pushy prayers, passionate prayers. It's not that you're pushing God, but that you're inviting him to push you. It's wrapping your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit around the will of Yahweh and praying into that. It's trusting that he has given you the desires of your heart He's placed them there. He's given you the mind of Christ if you are walking by your spirit, if you are walking by his Holy Spirit, and that's what you're praying into. That's what you're praying into. And it's powerful. James 5 says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. That's the first thing. So if you're praying, if you're suffering, what's the first thing first thing you should do? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. It's like singing prayers. I love that. You know, the first three letters are the same. Pray and praise. 
I think just praises are just singing your prayer. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's why the church is supposed to be a safe place for us to confess to one another the parts where we have stinking thinking and struggling and a place to where we won't be like, get away from you, sinner. Get away from me, you, you wrongdoer. Don't taint my life or my faith. It's welcoming them in, welcoming, welcoming each other, confessing these things to one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another so that we may be healed, not judged, not condemned, not put away, dismissed. The prayer, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. We pray for God's glory. And we pray from God's glory. Effective prayer is believing and having faith that you are righteous. That you are righteous because of Christ and the Spirit of God that dwells within you and praying from that. That's why it says the prayer of a righteous person is effective. When you believe and understand that you are righteous because of Christ and the Spirit of God that dwells in you makes you righteous, that's where you pray from. And it is powerful and it's, and it's effective. Effective prayer is centered on giving God glory. And that takes praying from God's glory. We center our lives around God. We don't center God and our faith around ourselves and what we want and what's best for me. What's best for God is where we center our lives. He invites us into him. We don't invite him into us. This whole you know, asking Jesus into your heart is not in the Bible. What you're saying is I will be faithful. You are pledging your full faith and allegiance to Yahweh, to Jesus, and he is inviting you into him. So he says, if anyone is in Christ, it doesn't say if anyone has Christ in him. It says that whoever is in Christ, God's spirit resides in him. He pours out his spirit upon all flesh. So we pray for God's glory. And when we pray for God's glory, kind of a residual effect, we get joy. Because when God's glorified, that makes me joyful. When God gets the glory, when God gets the praise, when God gets the honor, when God gets the, the wealth, 
When God gets the attention, I get joy. Because God is being made much of. We don't pray from ourselves. We get into the presence of God. Get into the glory of God. We come before the throne of grace. This is the essence of fervent prayer. This is the essence of faithful prayer. Because faithful prayer is praying with expectation. Because when you're in the presence of God, you are expecting God to glorify Himself. You are expecting for God to do that which glorifies Him and glorifies His church and glorifies His people. And you pray into that. And you pray from that. Because remember, faith is faithfulness to the one who you are praying to. It is trust. It is entrusting yourself and your situation, your trials, your sufferings, your temptations, your persecutions. You're entrusting all of those things to your Savior, to your God. And when we pray from God's glory, God's will is done. God is given glory and we rejoice and are amazed. Their prayers were answered and they were amazed. And when God answers prayers, it's amazing. It's amazing. However he answers, however he responds, Because when he answers, it's always to give himself the glory. And when he gets the glory, we get the joy. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that you've poured out into us. Lord, we thank you that you invite us before you. Lord, you invite us into your presence. You invite us before the mercy seat. We, you invite us to come close to come near, to come before the throne of your, of before, before your divine and heavenly throne in prayer. We thank you, God, that you welcome us. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would show us, show us your glory. Draw us into your presence every day. Draw us close, Lord Jesus, so that we can live our lives from the glory, for your glory. That we may experience joy by encountering your glory. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So we're going to take communion.